Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm your host, Melissa Mickey McGrath, and today I'm recording 1,554.2 miles from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You know I love some good animal escapes. Well, here are three about airport animal hijinks. Let's go. Hi everyone. Just a quick note here at the top. This episode is recorded about five days after Hurricane Ian hit Florida. One of our stories is in Florida today. Several people I know personally were in the state when the hurricane slammed into it. Over 100 people have been confirmed killed by Hurricane Ian, and that number is still rising. If you listened to the Patreon episode with Paul Chomo, his house was hit by Ian and is dealing with the aftermath. There is a GoFundMe his friends had set up to help get essential things like trash bags, mildew killer by the bucket, the barrel really, all of it. He'll need to get new floors and new cabinets. His whole family is physically okay, which given the destruction is an incredible thing to hear. But houses in Florida were crushed. Boats ended up on land. Houses ended up floating in water. Many of the photos coming out of the state looks like a bomb went off. Puerto Rico was also hit horribly hard as well, and they just keep getting slammed and slammed and slammed, and I have friends who live there too. Big hugs to everyone who has been affected by this hurricane. Florida, I don't know what's happening down there, but I hope if you're listening that you are safe and are able to dig out and that you can get the help that you need. And most of all, that people vote in ways that help support helping people in crisis and not pay millions of dollars that could have been used here to help the digging out process to ship Texas immigrants to Martha's Vineyard as a sick publicity stunt. I hope humans in this moment are showing humanity here instead of the opposite. I'm thinking of you all truly. So... I can't personally do much except to say if you can do anything at all for the people of Florida and Puerto Rico and the other areas that were hit hard from Hurricane Ian, please do it. Don't put it off or check in with those that you love in the area. And if you are in the area, do what you can to help people vote in four weeks because many of these roads will not be rebuilt. Many many of these bridges are still going to be out. People are still going to be stranded in a month. 
and voting is the most important thing you can do. If you are not in Florida, make your voting plan now. I'm not going to go off on it too much. It's usually not my lane for this show, but we do have a big election here in Maine, and we'll be taking our kid with us and have her watch us vote and then drop her off at school. It's important to us that she gets to watch and be a part of this process, and she gets a little sticker and that we all vote, and we walk the walk, we talk the talk, we check the boxes, and we hopefully don't break a machine again, which I actually did a couple years ago. That was super fun. Me and electronics have a fun history. But thank goodness for paper ballots is all I can say. And so with all of that, thoughts to the hurricane zone. Let's try to do what we can on this show to take your mind off of things for a little bit at least or provide company in your ears while you work to dig out. Whatever I can do, I hope it is helping. So let's go to the airport where we discuss some more unusual animal escapes. Airports are back, baby. After years of travel restrictions due to COVID, everyone is itching to get back to long lines or being that one guy in a mask on a flight like me sitting next to someone unmasked, hacking up a lung during (coughs) our entire transatlantic flight. (coughs) Getting through security at Heathrow. Good God, never again. (coughs) The never-ending search for affordable food with a real vegetable on it or just give up and go to Cinnabon. You'd think it would be hard to disappear in such a busy place. And at Boston Logan Airport in the summer of 2022, someone was able to outwit, outsmart, and outdo airport security, thousands of native Bostonians looking for their Duncan fix before their journey, and totally disappear. Much like the letter R from the native Bostonian tongue. Pocked my car and have a yard, anyone? Rowdy the cat actually was able to peace out for three weeks in New England's largest airport. This does not make me feel better about all the security measures that we have to do. They can spot a milliliter more liquid than three ounces, but couldn't find an entire cat for three weeks. Well, here are the details. Rowdy the kitty, crated and probably super unhappy about it, landed in Terminal E on a Lufthansa flight from Germany. The Sali family was reportedly returning back to the United States after a 15-year jaunt with the army. The cat somehow escaped her cage. It's unclear if she used her claws like a lockpick, Ocean's Eleven style, or if she maybe had an assist in her escape plans with someone who had opposable thumbs, but out she got. She saw some birds on the tarmac, was likely traumatized from being in a crate in Cargo Bay underneath the plane on a transcontinental flight, and... Honestly, if you've ever taken such a long flight, girlfriend probably had to pee like, whoa. It didn't help at all that she was all black with green eyes, and like the ninja she was dressed at, she was able to disappear like a magician in pursuit of the tarmac birds. But how did she get out? According to Patty Sally's account, she went down to the cargo area to retrieve her cat probably super duper excited to get her back after being really worried about putting her cat in cargo bay. Only to be asked by the person at the counter, quote, do you have a black cat? Well, we don't really know where she is right now. (coughs) Excuse me, what? Okay, so before you think like maybe some fluke happened and she was able to ninja cat her way out of this, I have seen animals being shipped on planes. In fact, when I was picking up a friend's new puppy at the airport, 
something I don't recommend anymore, but that's an entirely different story, the crate was heavy plastic, bolted with metal screws because you're not allowed to have plastic because, you know, plastic attachments are able to break easily. And the door is often zip-tied to the crate to prevent, well, exactly this. When I picked up this puppy, it was right after 9-11. That's the point in time in which we had to start going through metal detectors and taking our shoes off and getting x-rayed just to go to Cleveland. I went to the cargo bay to pick up this puppy who was shipped under the plane and I noticed the zip ties. I turned casually to the gentleman behind me and asked if anyone had a knife, not realizing that I'm standing next to security right after 9-11. That question was answered by a series of Boston's finest looking at me like I was an absolute idiot, which at the time I was. But I really needed to get this puppy out of the crate. So I carried this honking giant crate awkwardly out of Logan's doors, the very same airport you might notice that this cat story takes place, when someone grabbed his car keys and by just using brute force and his Honda key, he was able to get the zip ties detached so I could get this poor puppy out to pee and stretch. Looking on the Lufthansa rules for transporting animals, good God. There is a lot of info on here, and not a lot of it has seemed to change for animal transport in the last 20 years. So the cat could not have let herself out. Which means to me that either there was a catastrophic failure when loading or unloading the live animal in the storage unit of the plane, which doesn't feel good, or worse, someone opened the door to check on the cat and let her out, which is, to my knowledge, not allowed for exactly this reason. Food and water has to be dispensed through the bars or slits of the cage. The door should not be opened. These secure crates, which might seem super extra for just moving a cat, are not just for the cat's protection in the event luggage under the plane shifts during flights. This kitty needs to be in a Fort Knox-like crate for her safety, but also to protect the baggage handlers from getting scratched, bitten, or otherwise harmed while moving a fractious, terrified, domesticated animal who may never have been on board a flight under a plane without her owners before. It's not like most people take their cat to Disneyland for a fun trip. Cats are not known to be co-pilots. Though there are some exceptions, it's not the norm. So unless this cat was a legit actual panther, there is no way she should have been able to whoopsie her way out of this crate. Something happened, and that piece, weirdly, was not reported on. I'm guessing if you're an airline and you want people to fly with pets, it's best not to tell them how a horrible accident happened to the crate and she got out because of crushing pressure, or that some dummy was like, oh, I want to pet the kitty cat, and she peaced out. Neither option is good. <laughs> Anyway, everyone outside the airport, including Lufthansa personnel, security, Massport, the agency who operates the airport, construction workers nearby, and people just trying to get to work were all now officially on Rowdy Watch 2022. Cameras were installed outside the airport as were safe release animal traps in areas that Rowdy had been catting around. By placing humane traps with food around the airport perimeter, Rowdy was eventually captured after three weeks on the lamb. Why they didn't just put out empty boxes and maybe a table with something that they shouldn't get into on the tarmac is beyond me, they would have caught her in an hour. That is honestly the easiest and fastest way to catch a cat. Have you seen the videos of zoos doing enrichment for tigers? They will sometimes just put a used empty FedEx box in the middle of their pen and these 
giant apex predators will just boop on in and if it sits it chips, the cats are totes attracted to the empty box. So why is that? Well, house cats will almost always like the box that packaged the super expensive new thing you just bought for them more than the super expensive new thing that you just bought for them. Some researchers think that as cats are ambush predators, basically hide and seek means peekaboo, I eat you, they may need boxes and box-like structures to make them feel safe in the hunt. But that's not all. Ethologist Claudia Vinke noticed that in her studies with shelter cats, the ones who were given a box in their enclosure to curl up into adjusted much faster, acclimated to humans faster, and were overall less stressed and more social than ones with just a cage, food, and an open litter tray. The stress levels of these cats were significantly lower by just adding an empty box. Another idea here is that while broadly speaking, humans are more comfortable at around 65 to 75 degrees. Cats are mostly comfy at 85 to 97 degrees Fahrenheit. That's over 20 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than most humans at optimum temperature. Though maybe I'm just part cat because that 85 sounds awesome. I'm sitting in a basement right now in wool gloves, a hat, scarf, and a heater on my feet, and my thermostat says that it's 63 in the basement where I'm typing this. So hashtag not all humans. This magic temperature, the one where animals feel that they don't need to spend any energy staying warm or finding ways to cool off, is called the thermoneutral zone. So perhaps a box that they can snuggle into offers some warmth? As Wired puts it, quote, boxes are insulating, stress-relieving comfort zones, places where cats can hide, relax, sleep, and occasionally launch into a sneak attack against the huge, unpredictable apes that they live with, end quote. And these cats live in an environment that is on average 72 degrees Fahrenheit, which is at minimum 14 degrees colder than they like. So when they're looking for a sunbeam to sleep in, they aren't just trying to charge their solar battery. They're actually just trying to stay warm enough to be comfortable. Cat, same. Back to Rowdy. Luckily, it was July in New England when this event took place, and one of the hottest Julys that we have ever had in the Northeast. Due to the extreme heat, or maybe just wanting to get some friskies and tuna, she allowed herself to be caught by a trap and was taken to the Animal Rescue League of Boston so the kitty could get a health check and be safely housed until the Sollies could get back to get rowdy. Shout out to the ARL, where some of my friends still work, so hi everyone, good work. Rowdy was relayed to her owners who had moved to Florida. So regardless if her family had to come get her or if she was just sent to them, it appears that there was another flight in her future. Patty Sally mentioned that on her three-week bonus vacation running around the outside of Boston Logan, Rowdy probably put a dent on the mouse population. Oh honey, those aren't mice. The rat population is quite huge in the area, and with construction, they tend to get more visible. They are also the size of a Land Rover, so she was probably seeking out the safety of the trap after three weeks just to get a break from the mutant rats. So it turns out Rowdy wasn't the only cat to ever escape from a crate at an airport. But these next two kitties who did were able to physically get themselves out of their crates. Because these kitties were a pair of lions at the Singapore airport in December 2021. Guys, that was 10 months ago. I did not hear about this. Can you imagine being the poor baggage handler going in for a puppy, getting some college kids cardboard full-size Lil Nas X cutout, 
someone else's luggage full of Parmesan cheese because they just can't get it anywhere else. So they stocked up in like Virginia to bring to Shanghai. And then you go in for the last crate and you see two escaped lions. One, and this is real, was sitting on top of the crate he escaped from. Absolutely not. I would quit. I quit. I'm leaving that job in one piece. The Singapore airport, after getting wind that two lions have escaped their crates, contacted the veterinarians and carnivore care teams at the airport. Pause. They have veterinarians, cool, and a carnivore care team at the Singapore airport. Does every airport have a carnivore care team or is this just a Singapore thing? Quote, we have everything at this airport. Look, a Cinnabon, Hudson News, overpriced burgers, and a carnivore care team for when the big cats, some bears, and that one cassowary got out. How, how, how do you even get that gig or need a carnivore care team at an airport? And can you get discounted flights? Asking for a friend. The lions were sedated. Again, carnivore care team on hand and were transported to a wildlife facility. The word is that these cats were part of a group of seven lions being moved to an overseas facility with no other details. <laughs> Vice News really tried hard to contact people at the airport, wildlife groups, the Singapore Zoo, anyone that would maybe be able to answer their question to try to sort out who was shipping lions and where they were going. But those questions were never answered. They only got appeasement letters from the airport PR stating that cats, quote, remain secured by safety netting that was around the container during the entire time, end quote. But they would not explain how or why lions were even on the plane or where they were going, which seems really sus. They could be going to a legitimate zoo. They could be going to some rich guy for the fun of it. They could be going to a junkyard. Non-answers in this case are really telling because if it was just a zoo, that is an easy answer to give and a great publicity thing for the zoo. But given that Singapore airport is conveniently smack dab in the middle from Indonesia and Malaysia, Singapore and its airport are a necessary hub for a bustling illegal wildlife animal trade. In 2010, it was named by the Global Wildlife Trade Monitoring Network called Traffic, great name by the way, as being one of the world's top 10 illegal smuggling hubs. <sighs> I'm guessing those lions went somewhere really, really, really not a zoo. Anyway, <laughs> here I am trying to cheer everyone up. Sorry. The last airport animals today are the Fort Lauderdale Airport monkeys. Have you seen these guys? This is a very Florida story. You're welcome. So apparently since the 1940s, a group of wild African green monkeys have been living around one of Miami's three local-ish airports and having fun with tourists because, well, have you met monkeys? <laughs> if people leave their windows open a crack at the park and go at the airport, that's all that the monkeys need to slink their little monkey arms in to grab some leftover peanuts, maybe some melted M&Ms, a half-eaten bagel, and they aren't the only non-native species of monkeys in Florida. In fact, there are no native monkeys in the United States, which means that the three colonies in Florida, green monkeys that we we're just talking about, who are known for their greenish tinted brown fur, golden tipped tail, and blue scrotums, which I will leave the obvious joke there for the adults to pick up if they like, 
a group of rhesus monkeys and some squirrel monkeys. But the green monkeys here live in the mangrove trees near the park and go where they don't hurt anyone. And at this rate, they will likely be extinct in 50 years if nothing changes due to all the things that we've talked about that humans do. There are great photos of these monkeys just running around the tarmac, hanging out on the hangars, all of it, which is way more fun to look at while waiting for a flight than a 24-hour news cycle blabbering on and on about Liz Truss. I mean, yes, they are both monkeying around, but at least the airport ones bring joy. But how did these monkeys get here? Well, DNA evidence shows that these particular monkeys are descendants from a bunch of zoo escapees from the 1940s. The Dania Chimpanzee Farm was a private zoo that had brought in green monkeys in from Sierra Leone, which is on the southwest coast of Africa. These monkeys were brought over for research and also to bring money in as a roadside attraction. This zoo shut down in 1956. The private zoo imported monkeys for use in medical research before we had good rules in place about what we could and could not do in animal testing. These monkeys' ancestors had their blood drawn and sold in research efforts to fight polio and tuberculosis and other horrible, nasty, no good, very bad conditions that we can vaccinate for if you live in a region where it's recommended to get these vaccines and, you know, not get polio or TB. And that is a good thing. So the Dania Chimpanzee Farm found other ways to bring in the dough. Tour boats would pass the farm on their way through the Everglades, taking people on tours. And these tourists love a unique site, so the chimp farm built what we would all build if you're a chimpanzee farm. You would build an alligator wrestling pit, obviously. I mean, what would you do instead? Have a bake sale? So a grown human man in Florida, and all of this tracks, would wrestle alligators to bring in tourist dollar dollar bills because monkeys for entertainment wasn't quite doing it anymore, I guess? So in the 40s, a few monkeys pulled a Shawshank Redemption, escaped, and ended up on people's roofs in businesses and leaving a cheeky trail of humorous destruction as they made their way towards the airport for a real getaway. But before they could board a flight, they, I guess, decided just to find refuge in the local mangrove trees. Granted, airports are loud, but these monkeys are pretty adaptable, and they're pretty happy nearly anywhere. But Missy Williams, the lead researcher who figured out the history of these plucky little primates, is looking to help these monkeys. She started the Dania Beach Vervet Project. This is to raise money and buy the monkeys their own land, their own like little primate property, if you will, a sanctuary without the 747s flying overhead. And if you're interested in learning more about Missy's Vervet Project, visit vervetproject.org, V-E-R-V-E-T project.org. Or just check out the notes in the description of today's episode. So thank you guys for joining me on today's Bewilderbeast. I love these little animal escapes and I hope you do too. So if you happen to have any great animal escape stories, um, send them my way. Animals intersecting at history or science or just silly little stories. I think we could use some more lighthearted ones going forward. The last few weeks, even the ones that I started off doing that were a little more silly, ended up taking some pretty sad turns. So if you happen to have a really good, funny story, 
please send it in. Um, if you're a Patreon member, go ahead and send it in through the Patreon messaging. I can get everything through there very quickly. Um, or you could email bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. Find me at bewilderedpod on Twitter or bewilderbeastpod on Facebook and bewilderbeast on Instagram. I'm Melissa McHugh McGrath, host of This Silly Little Show, creator of Mud Stuff Media and author of Considerations for the City Dog. You know what to do. Go get curious. I got today's information from APnews.com, TravelAndLeisure.com, NPR.org, NewYorkPost.com, Independent.co.uk, Vice.com, TheAnimalRescueSite.com, Wired.com, Lufthansa.com, if you are interested in how to transport an animal as access baggage, Dawn.com, about Singapore being a key transit hub, for wildlife smuggling, LiveScience.com, VervetProject.org, and FloridaBackroadsTravel.com on the Dania Chimpanzee Farm. Intro and outro music is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz. Interstitial music is by MK2. All other sound effects and background music can be found at Pixabay.com or Freesound.org. And if you happen to like this, go ahead, go leave a review. It would mean the world to me. I do read them all and they always make me so happy. So go give a couple stars, give a thumbs up, share with your friends. You know what to do. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.